Welcome to the Sports Garden Network Podcast, your source for sports entertainment, incredible sports wagering intelligence. Welcome, sports fans. This is Wagering Week. I'm Tom Barton. That's right. We are Wagering Week. Facebook and Twitter, that's how you get in touch with us. It is hashtag SGN. And it is Sports Garden, G-A-R-T-E-N, on all of the social media accounts. 855, the number 4, G-A-R-T-E-N, iTunes, iHeartRadio, any of our fine syndicated affiliates. That is how you get in touch with us. Guys, what a show we have. And we are getting to the nitty-gritty. We are getting to the point in the season where it is no longer will you make the playoffs. It is how many teams, who is going to squeak in. And we are battling for positions even at the top. We don't have that clear-cut team this year. We don't have that sure favorite this year. As a matter of fact, we have a couple of co-favorites to go to the Super Bowl and to win the Super Bowl. So all kinds of things are all over the place. This is one of the most wild years that I can imagine. I really, I don't remember the last time it was so absolutely out of control where sports bettors are basically confused. The casinos took a beating earlier in the year. Uh, now, all of a sudden, that they've kind of adjusted back, which we sort of knew they would. You turn around and you look at this whole, whole situation about, look, how many teams are just jumbled up? How many teams are sitting there? 18 of the 32 teams either have five, six, or seven wins. I mean, that is crazy. Every AFC team has four losses. That's the first time every team in the league is a, in a conference has had four-plus losses through Week 13 since 2002. That's absolutely crazy. 12 AFC teams are 500 or better. That's tied with 2014 AFC for the second most in a conference through Week 13 all time. We are in an all-time historic weird situation here. You start to talk about... You know, what about the betting angle? Well, let's look at survivor picks for a moment here. And the most popular survivor pick has lost five weeks in a row. And now, well, coming into last week, and now it's six weeks in a row because the Vikings lost. And so you're talking about the most popular survivor pick is being picked off. You can't even trust money lines. It's an absolutely crazy season. So we got to navigate through it and find spots to make money. What I've been doing is, look, this is a crazy year for everybody, and I'm not going to sit back and pat myself on the back and tell you I'm having amazing an amazing year. Look, I'm over 500. I'm profitable, but I'm barely profitable. And, and what has made my season a profitable season? Well, I've turned to totals. I've really started to look at totals more, and I'm going, you know, look, it, it's a weird year. It is even a weird year for totals, but there are certain spots to pull this out. You saw me tweeting out. And if you guys follow me, you know, my, my personal account, you saw me tweeting out, you saw me going crazy about the weather on Monday night. And we sort of knew that was coming down. We sort of knew that kind of weather was going to be here. I was talking about it on the show last week. I've been talking about it all week. I talked about it on my Sunday show, looking forward to Monday. And then people started to seeing the videos of the crazy winds. Now, Look, you see snow, you see rain. Um, oftentimes I urge don't overreact, but that kind of win, that kind of insane win deserves a reaction. Not only did I bet it before the game, but I went in during the game. There was a, after about eight minutes in the first quarter, you started to realize, okay, look, this is going to be this kind of game. You could still get the over under. Now you're paying two to one, but you could still get it at 43. Right. If you really want to go over under 40, 40, which was a pretty big number when you're starting to see the early parts of that game, it was even money. So when you see big weather games like this and you see the overreaction, maybe it's best 
to kind of play the in game. As soon as Damian Harris ran off that huge run, I went back in and I said, okay, well, we're not going to see many huge runs tonight. And I went back in. The line went up. The total went up. The team totals went up. And I pounded everything under. So that is the ability to have when you are playing with an online situation, when you have the app in your hand and you're not at a casino. As much as I love to be at a sportsbook, the beauty of being able to just touch it and go and watch the game and say, okay, this is the flow that it's going to be, you could still make up some money. So be cautious of that and use that to your advantage moving forward. All right, speaking of some games on the weekend, before we go into the NFL, I do want to talk about the Army-Navy game this weekend because it is... Look, one of the all-time games, and I want to touch on college football for a moment. Uh, just overall, college football as a whole, look, you know, I, I think it's a disgrace to college football. I think it's a slap in the face to every college football fan out there that we have Alabama at number one. You are the number two team in the country, Michigan. You go out there and you dominate. You do the greatest job that you could possibly do in your conference game, and it means nothing because you didn't move up. Why? Because the SEC holds so much money, so much power, they dominate, and they wanted to ensure the fact that an SEC team would be in the championship or as well as they possibly could, right? I mean, they wanted to make sure that one, maybe even two, and they wanted to have the ability to have a potential Georgia-Alabama final. Now, I'm not saying that Alabama is better than Michigan, okay, or not better than Michigan. I'm saying Michigan deserved it, and Alabama did not. Alabama struggled with a one-legged quarterback to go into multiple overtimes to barely beat Auburn. Alabama struggled against LSU. Alabama struggled against Florida. By the way, two teams that were so bad this year, they both fired their head coach. Yeah, that's who Alabama struggled against. Michigan State has one loss on a call and a refereeing and officiating crew that basically admitted that they screwed the team over. Michigan deserved to be number one. Alabama... You can argue number two. I still think an undefeated season by Cincinnati who went on the road to beat a top 10 team in Notre Dame is more impactful than anything. And I mean anything Alabama did all year, including the beatdown of Georgia. I believe that Georgia basically beat up on cupcakes all year. So, you know, my rankings would have Michigan 1, Cincinnati 2, Alabama 3, and Georgia 4. But look, this is not an anti-Alabama rant. This is not even an anti-SEC rant. This is, you should be angry no matter what. Because Alabama fans, look, you just had the SEC championship game, right? You just had the SEC championship game where you single-handedly dismantled Georgia, and that's exactly what happened. You beat them as a six-and-a-half-point underdog outright, and you beat them up all game long. Now, that game means nothing, nothing to anybody if you don't go out there and win the championship, which means you have to beat them twice. So just like it happened to Alabama against LSU, where LSU came into your house about a decade ago, beat you, and you still went to the SEC championship game. Well, you didn't have to go. They did. And you still went to the national championship game without going to an SEC championship game. Well, in this case, the SEC final and the SEC title game meant nothing to Georgia because they knew they were getting in. meant everything to Alabama. But if Alabama doesn't win, can't you argue, Alabama? I'm on your side. Can't you argue, you know what? We beat them. Why do we have to beat them twice to put them away? Why, why is that a thing? We have to beat them twice in three games to put them away? We already beat them. They shouldn't be here. So I understand that argument as well. Now let's get into uh, a little college football here just real quick. The Army-Navy game, it is one of those games that... Everybody loves it's a it's a, a feel good game. We know the official end of the college football season, regular season, is here when Army plays, uh, you know, Navy in this hundred and twenty second 
installment of this. This is unbelievable. They've been playing together since 1890. That is unreal, okay? It's unreal. Uh, you look at this game, but from a betting standpoint, it's a game that jumps off the page at you. From a betting standpoint, this is one of those, okay, circle this type of games. While we have 50-degree weather, it's going to be a little light rain and everything, um, you start to look at the under. And the Navy-Army total opened up at 35.5. That's a massively ridiculous under, right? I mean, that, that's just a low number. 33.5 it's now, and it's falling as we speak. I've seen it as low as 31 in some offshores. Why? Well, since 2005, Service Academy games have gone under 82% of the time, 49-1. and 82% of the time. And if you bet the last 15 Army-Navy unders, You'd be a rich man. You'd be 15-0. We've had 15 unders in a row. And speaking of the number 15, that's exactly what this total was last year. 15 combined points. Or maybe I should just say Army scored 15 and Navy was shut out. Army's now won, uh, you know, four straight. They look really good. They come in eight and three. They beat Air Force. So they have the Commander-in-Chief's trophy, but they want to win it outright, obviously. Army... We know what they are. Good defense, great rushing. Number two rushing attack in football. They average over 300 yards per game, okay? More than 12 Black Knights scored a rushing touchdown this year. Five players have 340 or more yards. It's a team effort to run the ball down people's throats. It also leads the nation in time of possession, obviously because of the running game. They also convert almost 50% of their third downs, over 70% of their fourth downs. They have a top 20 scoring team in the country. They also have a top 20 scoring defense in the country, and they're eighth in the country in fourth down conversion rate. So Army is fantastic. They are a top-heavy rushing team that controls the clock, have a lot of success with that run, and when they don't have the success with that run, well, their defense steps up, and their defense is really good, okay? And they hold the ball. I mean, look, they hold the ball. Navy does the same thing or tries to. Navy is fifth in the league with 34 minutes per game holding the ball. They're only 3-8 and eight on the year. They started 1-6, and six, but look, they've won, you know, two of the last four games, so maybe things are turning over. I think Ken Yamatomoto is one of the most underrated coaches in the country. And you're looking at what he's done. Look, he had one losing year in his first 10 years, and now this is going to be the third time in the last four years. Has his meshes gotten lost? Is he getting complacent there? Is the running style and pure running style just getting lost? Well, they have some offensive issues. Sure, they still have a top 10 running offense, right? That ranks seventh nationally in rushing. But look, you look at this and you go, they just can't, they can't do anything else. They rank 17th in fourth down conversion, but they can't get it done on third down conversion. So they're consistently having to go for it on fourth or punt it away, which is more often. And they have a decent defense, right? But they average, uh, you know, about 20 points per game of letting up. That's not too good. Look, this is a team that they have a decent defense, middle-of-the-road defense. They have no passing attack to speak of. They can't convert third downs, but they run the ball. Well, if they get behind, they're going to be in a lot of trouble, and this is a game where they could be in a lot of trouble. 15 straight unders, guys. That speaks volumes of this series, and they continue to set the bar lower and lower and lower. I was actually out here. I was, I was talking to my, you know, my new buddy, John, and uh, he's going to sit down with a couple of guys, Rob Mish, one of our friends. And he's going to sit down with a couple of guys, and he said, you know, what do you like on the Army game? I said, I can't take anything. I said, but you, you got to be crazy. You got to just be nuts to take the over. After 15 straight unders and Academy of Games hit 87% or 82% of unders. You got to be nuts to take the under. 
um, here because the line is now 33-31 in some spots. This is just a game where I just I think you just got to watch it. You know, I hate to say it, but I just got to watch it. I lean the under because I know what happens. And I lean Army because I think they're a better team. But I don't like laying a point. You know, I don't like laying that half a point, right? I don't like laying that seven and a half. I'm not certainly not going to buy the point here. I think Army comes away with a win. Let's say 21-10 is, is a good round figure to kind of go take a shot at. But I'm just sitting back and watching this one. All right, let's get into the NFL Thursday night game. Pittsburgh, Minnesota. Steelers and the Vikings, look, they rank first and second in sacks in the league. The Steelers sacking uh, the quarterback is just unbelievable. They sacked Jackson seven times. That's unbelievable. That's more than five times a regular season before today. He has never been sacked, right? Pittsburgh is on track to get a 50-sack season. It'll be their fifth straight. It's the fifth straight year that they lead in sacks in it could just be even better than that. You look at a guy like Watt. He's recorded 44 and a half sacks in 38 career games in Heinz Field. He's collected at least a half a sack in 25 of the Steelers' last 28 home games, including 22 of the last 24. He loves to play at home. Well, they're on the road here, but Minnesota doesn't have a good offensive line. Minnesota also has a backup running back. I know Madison is good, but he's still a backup. Adam Thielen is also questionable in this game. So you assume that the Steelers are going to go, okay, Fitzpatrick, you cover Jefferson, and we're going to give you help. We're going to basically dare them to beat us over the middle. The Vikings' run defense on the other side has fallen apart. Well, they've fallen apart for a reason. Danielle Hunter is out for the year. Uh, you look at Everson Griffin with his problems out for the year. Eric Kendricks last week was out for the year. Oh, was out for that game. He may come back. This is a problem. These are teams right now that know that they can run on them. And what do you think that they want to do? Damian Harris wants to run. But the surprising thing is that Big Ben turns around and Big Ben comes out here. Um, and we had him on our Wanna Bet show, Ryan Shazier, talking about Big Ben. And we had Ryan Shazier on our show talking about Big Ben and, and what it means to Pittsburgh. Look, Big Ben, I think he knows this is the last hurrah. And he's looked good the last couple of weeks. But more so, I think the team knows, you know, how much he meant to Pittsburgh, how much he meant to that city and that team and and the legacy of Big Ben. And they want to send him out with a big-time win. Well, if you run the ball effectively with Harris, Deontay Johnson is almost an uncoverable player. I know Claypool's banged up. If you get anything from him, well, wow. Fairmouth all of a sudden is becoming a big tight end. And now the Steelers' offense, which has massive offensive line problems, but they are starting to utilize their skill players. And that's exactly what they have. They have skill players. They have superior coaching. Mike Tomlin, before the year, I told you one of my biggest bets of the year. My biggest overall bet that I can remember making um, uh, in the last probably five years was Najee Harris to get his over touchdowns, okay? One of the other largest bets that I made on the year was the Pittsburgh Steelers would not only win seven games, okay? So I'm in a good position with Pittsburgh, but I believe that because I see the skill position players. Offensive lines, even if they're not that talented, can get better with continuity as the year goes on. And I think that the Pittsburgh Steelers' offensive line may not be good, but they're getting competent play right now. And that sounds like a backhanded compliment, but it is exactly what it is, is they're getting competent play. 
going up against a Minnesota team. Sure, they're good at getting to the to the pass rusher, but they were good with Hunter. They were good with Griffin. They were good with a healthy Kendricks. They were good with a healthy Barr. Those guys are all not healthy right now. And if you're sitting back and you're looking at a banged-up, not-healthy Minnesota Vikings team, how can you sit here and tell me that Pittsburgh offensive line can't be effective? So, when I'm looking at this line, I think it's a coin toss game. You put these on a neutral field, you know, I think it's a coin to- coin flip game. So, you give the obligatory three with the Minnesota Vikings, except that the line is three and a half or four. All right, well, you go, normally, people are going to bet Pittsburgh because it's Pittsburgh. It's a name recognition. They're the best brand in the NFL. And you go, well, you would assume that it would lean towards that way. So, if you throw in the point, point and a half that Pittsburgh usually gets, people are saying that, what, Minnesota's a five and a half point favorite in this spot? I don't love that. Look, I think that this is a game that could go either way. Both of these teams absolutely need this game to go to the playoffs. If they want to imagine a playoff run, and I think both of them right now want to imagine a playoff run, I think both of them right now are both sitting back and saying, okay, we can get back into this thing. They must win this game. There are no pure elimination games at this point in the season, but at this point in the season, I think you have games where it starts to become a near must win. Pittsburgh is the eighth seed. Going to six and six can send them into a pretty rough tailspin with Vegas, who could go seven and six, Cleveland could go seven and six, Denver could go seven and six, Miami could go seven and seven, Indianapolis could leapfrog them at eight and six, Buffalo could go eight and six. You know, it leaves you in the dust. But if you go seven and five, you know, as the eighth seed, even if everyone in front of you wins, everybody, what do you have? You're still the AC. You're still only a spot back. You're still right in the mix. Because even with that, you still have the lead on Indy, the lead on Vegas, the lead on Cleveland, the lead on Denver. You have the lead on these teams. So that is something to pay attention to with Pittsburgh. Well, what about Minnesota? They're the nine seed, weirdly, at five and seven. But you look all the way up and you go, the six seed is Washington at six and six. Six and six, San Francisco is the seven seed, and the A seed are Philadelphia at six and seven. Again, same sort of situation. Um, they have a tiebreaker over Carolina, who's right behind them at five and seven. They have a tiebreaker over Atlanta. Okay, so they're also five and seven. New Orleans is also five and seven. And you start to look at this team, Minnesota, and say, all right, with a loss, five and eight, I think you're done. With a win at 6-7, and seven, you join the ranks of Philly. San Francisco, Washington might go down. So all of a sudden, you're in the mix. This is as close to a playoff game as we're going to get this point in the season. I know the Thursday game is not an attention grabber, especially with these two teams being that big-time attention grabber. But I'm telling you guys, this could be an absolute battle. And it could be a battle because what we're looking at is a potential playoff situation. This is an elimination game between two tough teams that really are going to go out there and lay it all on the line. Two tough teams that know, look, if we don't win, there could be changes here. Zimmer might be playing for his job. Ben goes, you know what, I might be just playing out the string if I don't win here. So a lot of emotion are flying as well in this game. I'm somebody that's looking forward to this game. I think it's going to be a pure battle. I lean Pittsburgh just because of the points. If you told me that Minnesota was getting four points, I'd probably lean Minnesota. I think it'll be a tight game, wouldn't rule out overtime. Lots of running, lots of defense being played. Probably quite a few sacks as well if you're looking for a little prop play. All right, guys, let's take a quick timeout. Come on back. When we get back, we'll go through all of the NFL games, full NFL schedule, including a really, really good slate of Sunday games I am really pumped up for. All that and more right after this, right here on Wagering Week. 
And now back to Wagering Week with Tom Barton. I bet you 20 bucks I can get you gambling before the end of the day. No way. I'll give you three to one odds. You're on. What are the odds? What are the odds? Well, I'm talking about college football, so let's go to the big college football bowl games. Georgia is seven and a half point favorites right now. The total is 44 over Michigan. That is in the Orange Bowl on December 31st. Also on December 31st in the Cotton Bowl, Cincinnati, Alabama. Alabama opened as a 16 point favorite and it has dropped to 13 and a half. The over under is sitting at 58. That is what are the odds? Well, yeah, look, I thought it was going to go up. I thought everybody would be all over Alabama, but I think the injury. Uh, to their star wide receiver, probably drove that down a little bit and just under the two touchdowns, which two touchdowns is just a lot. I don't care if it's Cincinnati. I don't care if it's Alabama. It, it is just a lot. All right, let's go on to the NFL here. Ravens-Browns, this is a good battle. This is one of the best games of the day, and it really is sort of a separation game here. In a weird scheduling quirk here, the first time in 30 years that it's gone, and it's been playing the same team twice. The Cleveland Browns played the Ravens Two weeks ago. Then they had a bye week last week. Now they play the Ravens again. It's real, really weird kind of situation. But they do get the Ravens, and they are a small favorite at home. The Baltimore Ravens, they're 2-0 straight up and 2-0 as an underdog this year as a dog. So, you know, make of that what you will, even though it's only a one-and-a-half point favorite or so. The Ravens have won the last four meetings. They've won the last two in Cleveland, and they have their way. The last time these two teams saw each other just a couple of weeks ago, Lamar Jackson looked awfully through four interceptions, and they still got the win. The Browns and Ravens, look, they both have mimicking kind of offenses. They both have two of the top four rushing attacks in the NFL. Okay, they've actually rushed for the exact amount of yardage at 1,765. Okay, you also look at both of their teams, and they are both defensive-oriented teams. We're talking about it's more than a month here, guys, since either one of these teams have scored 20 points. That's huge. But can injuries play a massive role here? Offensive tackle, who is a very good one. I don't know if he's going to the Pro Bowl, but might have been Jack Conklin. Tore his patella tendon, and he's out for the rest of the season, the offensive lineman for the Cleveland Browns, a team that loves to run the ball right at the offensive tackle, right behind him. Uh, Jack Conklin is out. That will help the Ravens' defense. But what will help the Baltimore, uh, the Cleveland Browns' offense, Marlon Humphreys is out. And one of the things that you can do against the Ravens, and you've been able to do ever since Marcus Peters went down, is you can throw on this team. You can throw on them all day long. Baker Mayfield hasn't thrown a ball in about two weeks. Baker Mayfield has been banged up. He's got a million ailments and problems and issues. This is a, this is a guy that looks like he just got out of a car wreck. He's got everything going wrong. Did two weeks cure that? Can he get some downfield looks? Because with no Marlon Humphrey, no Marcus Peters, a defense that you can throw on, I think he's going to have to, especially with the idea that, sure, everybody knows they want to run, um, and sometimes it does work out. Look at the Monday night game. If everyone knows that you're going to run, you're still going to run it. But I don't think that that's kind of the idea that they want to get. I think they want to try to spread the field. They want to attack what the Ravens don't do well. I think they need to do that. And I think they will try to at least go down that path. The other side of this is that I don't believe that Lamar Jackson can be as bad as we watched. I don't think Lamar Jackson's thrown four more interceptions. I don't think Lamar Jackson is going to be that careless with the ball. I don't think the Ravens are going to be that out of sync. And even with him out of sync, look at what happened in that game. So even with them out of sync and him out of sync, they still were able to be the better team that night. 
Now, if they can put that together and clean it up, you expect them to win the game. I think it's a coin flip, flip game. You know, you give uh, Stefanski a week to prepare here. I love Harbaugh, but the week off might be the difference maker. All right, Jacksonville, Tennessee. Tennessee, again, another team coming off of a bye week. They are 3-0 and with under Mike Vrabel uh, coming off of that bye week. Minus 9.5, minus 10, depending on where you're looking. Look, the Jacksonville Jaguars were playing decent. And we keep talking about how good their run defense is because they only let up about 105 rushes per game, uh, rushing yards per game. That's pretty good for Jacksonville defense. Jacksonville, though... You know, they play tough for a little while, and then they just kind of can't get out of their own way. Trevor Lawrence doesn't look very good, but they're putting him in no-win situations. They've had some injuries at wide receiver. They've got some problems. James Robinson came on a local Jacksonville radio show this week, and he basically said, I want the ball more. I don't think it's fair that I'm not getting the ball more. So there's problems in the locker room. There's some controversy. He didn't say it. In a let me let me frame this. He didn't say it in a give me the ball more me 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 kind of way. The host basically asked him and put him in a position to answer the question. He just said, "Yeah, of course I think I should get the ball more." And you know, I fumbled the ball early in the year, but I think I've made up for it. And I think we all see that. The Jaguars they've lost four in a row now, and they were playing well. They beat the Bills. They you know they they went to England and they got a win. Then now all of a sudden they're averaging twelve points per game. Tennessee is not going to be healthy when they come out of this thing. A.J. Brown is still banged up. Derrick Henry will not play in this game, uh, but Julio Jones might. I don't know if Julio Jones is necessarily the difference maker here. To me, this is a Jacksonville team that is dangerous giving double digits to. As a matter of fact, um, they are really well, uh, playing really well when they're getting double digits this entire year. But it's not quite double digits here. And to ask the Titans coming off of a bye week to play at home against a division foe and win this game by 10, I don't think is that heavy of a lift. It's not something I'm running to the window to do. We talked about it last week. I hate betting double-digit games. And I hate betting double-digit games on the road. And I hate laying points on the road in conference. This one, though, is a little bit different because it's not quite double digits. It's about 9.5 or 9. It's not quite double digits. It's not on the road because it is at home in Tennessee. And although it's in conference, it's in a, against an opponent that's massively inferior and should be reeling in the wrong direction right now. I'm looking at Tennessee and I'm saying, you know, it's hard to not bet on them. If I knew Julio Jones was going to be 100%, I'd be all over them. If I thought that A.J. Brown could come back, which he won't, or I thought that Derrick Henry was in here, this line could be 14 and I would be betting it. Just a rough spot, but I do like Tennessee to win the game. All right, how about another divisional opponent laying nearly double digits at home, and that's Kansas City against the Raiders. Uh, This is a spot where they put Kansas City in the early window, which is surprising. The line opened up at 8.5. It's up to 9.5, but I've seen it touch 10 at times. So we could be talking about another double-digit situation. The Chiefs, the number one scoring defense in the NFL for the past two months, they are winning games with their defense. That's quite unusual. I think that their offense does not look good. I think that their offense is broken right now. Um, The two deep cover zone has given them fits, but besides that, other teams have given them fits. Kansas City has allowed 11.2 points per game through a five-game winning streak. They're getting better as the year goes on defensively. Offensively, though, Mahomes still doesn't have his eyes downfield. Offensively, though, 
uh, Tyreek Hill still doesn't look like he's got the separation. Offensively, Travis Kelsey is still dropping some balls out there. Offensively, I still don't trust their running game, although it looks a little bit different. But I will say this, Patrick Mahomes threw for 406 yards and five touchdowns in the Week 9 matchup against this Raiders defense. A Raiders defense that, yes, they can get after you, but a Raiders defense that is also very easy to throw on. And the problem that I have with the Raiders is going to come back to haunt them, and it looks like it already has. Forget about the throw out the Thanksgiving Day game, okay? They've lost four of the last five games. They haven't been able to generate any kind of offense in four of those five games. If you throw out the Thanksgiving Day game, which I don't know what happened. I have no excuses for that one, right? I mean, this team has been a mess offensively for a little while, and the reason is they cannot run the ball. It's that simple. They can't run the ball. And if you can't run the ball, guess what? We all know what you're going to do. We all know you're going to pass, and you're passing it to guys that are banged up in Darren Waller that should be backups in Edwards. You don't have your key receiver. You are banged up at key positions, and you can't run the ball. I'm sorry, guys. I Again, I hate to lay double digits in this spot. I think it's dangerous to lay double digits in this spot, but there's no way you have me taking the Raiders. No way, no how. All right, what about New Orleans against the Jets? Taysom Hill has a finger injury. They might go back to Trevor Simeon. We're not sure. I don't really know if it matters, okay? The Jets rank 30th in the NFL in run defense, and that's what should be happening here. They should run, run, run all day. It looks like Kamara will be back. Even if he's not, it looks like Ingram will be back. And no matter what happens, the New Orleans Saints shouldn't be laying six points on the road to anybody. But we know their game plan is going to be run the ball. Look, the Jets are not a good team by any stretch of the imagination, but the Jets are still playing well. The Jets are scheming against teams that are more in their element. They've done pretty well against. They've been able to at least limit it defensively. You can run on this team despite good upfront play, but you really can't pass on them um, over the middle. Deep, sure, because they lost their core, their starting safety, Marcus May. You could pass on them deep. It's that intermediate route. And without Alvin Kamara, um, they would be having a field day. But I think if Kamara's in there, it's hard to trust the Jets. Jets are at home. This is an ugly, gross game. I Look, again, this is one of those teams that I look at with the Jets and I go, nobody wants to bet on them. But they are getting six points at home in a spot where they may be going back to Trevor Simeon. Trevor Simeon is 57% completion percentage. Scares no one. All right, how about the Cowboys I just talked about? Cowboys, Washington, the line is four, four and a half. Washington swept the series last year. Washington was a better team last year than they are this year. Although, Washington is red hot right now. They're on a four-game winning streak. They've allowed 17 points per game over that four-game winning streak. That also includes beating Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Bucks. So don't just say, guys... You know, they're going out there and beating cupcakes. No, they're not. They're going out there and winning games against some key opponents. And you look at Washington against the pass. They allow 264 yards through the air, and Landon Collins is hurt. That is third worst in the NFL. Dak Prescott has to step up. Dak Prescott has to absolutely go crazy here for them to win. Ezekiel Elliott looks like he's lost a step in a while. I look look at Pollard, and I go, man, Pollard's pretty good. They just don't seem to trust him. So this has to be a Dak Prescott game. And when else should there be a Dak Prescott game than against the Washington football team? Dak, since his rookie year, 7-1 against them. He's won seven of those games by an average of 14 points. This could be the get-right game that Dallas needs, but Washington has been playing really well. Washington might have some nice, nasty weather on their hands. Washington... Might be getting healthy. Landon Collins might come back for this one. And Washington has some confidence right now. They will be able to get some running going against Dallas. But I think this is a Dak Prescott kind of game. If you believe in Dak and believe Dak can be that guy and can be the man, well, this is a game he's got to go out there and completely dominate, which he's done plenty of times in the past. All right, Atlanta, Carolina. 
Weird stuff going on in Carolina, right? Carolina had a bye week. During the bye week, offensive coordinator Joe Brady was let go. Joe Brady was one of the guys that most everybody in the league is going, man, I want him to be a head coach because he's such a great offensive coordinator. We not we are, Look, we're not sure if Cam Newton's starting, but it looks like he probably is. But look, he probably shouldn't be. I mean, that's kind of the case with Joe Brady. Chuba Hubbard is clearly not the player that Christian McCaffrey is. Don't have much faith in him. Um, this was a 19-13 nasty, ugly game on October 13th, and I think that Matt Rule sits down, he looks at this, and he goes, you know what, I just want to run the ball more. I want to run the ball again and get back into that running way, what we had success with early on, run the ball, play good defense. I think Carolina gets back to basics. Carolina is at home. They are a three-point favorite. Um, Cam Newton probably will get the start. Atlanta, look, their defense is just flat-out bad. And you look at the other side and you go, you know, they should have a lot of success offensively because they got a lot of playmakers. But in the scheme that they have, they really don't. We all try to make out the unicorn to be this great, amazing tight end. But the reality is, is that He's still a rookie, and rookie tight ends struggle. I'm sorry, they always do. Throughout history, rookie tight ends struggle because they're more concentrated on the pass protection than anything else. Well, Kyle Pitts is struggling right now, and Matt Ryan can't seem to find him. So if he can't find him, he's dealing with Cordell Patterson and Mike Davis, who I know had a good game last week, but that's who you're dealing with. And in these spots with a Cordell Patterson and a Mike Davis as your primary weapons, I worry about it. But the Carolina defense is not what it once was. I wonder how much stock we put into Matt Rule. I think he's a tremendous head coach, and if I believe that someone's a really good head coach, like I do believe in Matt Rule, then I have to believe that he's going to fix some problems. I think they go massive run heavy here. I think that Atlanta struggles in what could be some rainy conditions in Carolina. If it does rain, I love Carolina. I'll be all over them. We're still not sure. It's a little too far out to check out the weather there. All right, last early slate game here, Seattle at Houston, and what a weird game, and I wanted to end it with this because, sure, The Texans ranked 32nd in the league in run defense, okay? But the Seattle Seahawks can't run the ball. And I know I said last week, look, Russell Wilson is broken, and then he goes out there and he beats San Francisco. I still think Russell Wilson is still banged up. I still think he's broke. And I still think that this is a team that must rely upon the run to have any kind of success. Two weeks ago, the leading rusher was Russell Wilson with 16 yards. Okay, it's just not going to get it done. Last week, I was not overly impressed with their rushing attack either. You look at a guy like Collins who's limping around and banged up, and DJ Dallas, and these are the guys that you're relying upon. I don't have faith in any of them. You have faith in Adrian Peterson. Well, he scored a touchdown last week. Well, okay, do you have faith in him? Now, this Houston defense doesn't look great, but Houston's defense has gotten a little bit better. And I like what David Culley did this week on pure... Uh, motivation standpoint. He released linebacker Zach Cunningham. Zach Cunningham leads the team in tackles, has led the team in tackles for the last few years. Zach Cunningham is probably their best defensive player left, but he released him. He cut him, and he said, I've got a room full of players that understand what our standard is. They look at me with cross eyes if I'm not practicing what I preach. So they let him go. Now, X's and O's standpoint, I think losing Zach Cunningham is a massive blow to this team. But I like what David Culley's doing, and they play tough for him. Tyrod Taylor has infused a little something with him. They are at home, and they're getting more than a touchdown here. Seattle, they are 31st in defense in the NFL, 31st in offense. You can tell me that Russell Wilson might be fixed, and you can tell me you saw a spark in Russell Wilson last week. Sure, okay, let's have that conversation. But does he play defense? Can he fix this defense. I think Tyrod Taylor, Nico Collins, and what they have on offense, it's not going to scare anyone. Brandon Cooks, of course, if he plays. It's not going to scare anyone, but I think they could do enough to put a little fear in the Seahawks team. Again, at home getting more than a touchdown. At home getting more than a touchdown against the Seahawks team, 
that might be done. If they cannot run the ball, which they cannot run the ball, and they're not going to be able to have success, they're going to have to all of a sudden go to something that Seattle doesn't like to do. And let's be honest, that's let Russ cook. They don't want to let Russ cook. They haven't wanted to let Russ cook. And that the reality, I'm sorry, is just a tough reality to sort of sit back and handle. If you are this team and you are the, the Seattle Seahawks and for your, I, I mean, years and years and years, you've been preached in one ear that, Carroll's ways run the ball. Everything succeeds on the run. And Carroll's going, look, we got to run. That's what we have to do. And now you simply cannot run the ball? Well, what do you expect it to be? It's going to be a bad situation. It's going to be a, a losing of the locker room. It's going to be a weird spot where, yeah, you all want Russ to, to cook. And you know what Russ can do. But he's never taken the reins off. And if he's getting no run support, I think Houston could keep this game close. I see massive money. The line opened at seven. It went up to seven and a half. I've seen it at eight in some spots already. And I've seen massive money come in on the Seahawks as if the Seahawks are suddenly fixed. Call me the skeptic here. I just don't believe they're suddenly fixed. As a matter of fact, it opened at six and a half in some spots. And I'm seeing it right now when I'm looking at my board. There's an eight and a half at Caesar Sportsbook right now. So it's going up. A lot of money's coming in on them. And you look at this and you go, the total is 41 and a half. 41 and a half for the total, which has gone down from 45. Why is it 41 and a half if the, if the number's going up? They are expecting a Seahawks defensive battle. They're expecting the Seahawks to take over. Again, I know Davis Mills might play, and that might be the situation. I really don't care. I can't count on the Seahawks defense, even against the Davis Mills, Tyrod Taylor, or me. All right, guys. Look, when we start, start talking about the, the Texans, you know, the only thing you have to hold on to is the potential that, you know what, maybe we have something working in the future. And you look at this organization and you go, what do they have? What do they have to cling to? Well, their head coach has got to set a tone, and that's why Cunningham is gone. This is a, a tone-setting type of game. Um, they don't have to win. But if you set a tone against Russell Wilson, you walk out there with your head held high, well, you know what, maybe something in the future can look bright. With that being said... Let's go back to the future. We're sending you back to the future. Okay, all right. Bet to the future. Okay, guys, let's go bet to the future, and let's take a look at those MVP odds. Well, Tom Brady is out to a pretty commanding lead. If anybody's listening to this show, I gave you Brady before the year. He's at plus 160. Aaron Rodgers and Kyler Murray pulling up at 6-1. to 12-1 to one odds, Dak Prescott and Josh Allen. Matthew Stafford is 16-1. to one. Justin Herbert is 20-1. to one. Jonathan Taylor, 25-1. to one. Lamar Jackson, 30-1. to one. Joe Burrow, 80-1. to one. And Cooper Cup is 100-1 to one to win the MVP. That is bet to the future. You know, I, look, I'm eliminating Cooper Cup because what Michael Thomas did a few years ago, um, no wide receiver in history could ever kind of top. He set all kinds of records, broke all kinds of books. He went absolutely crazy and barely got a nod, right? I mean, so I'm taking out all wide receivers for the end of time on any kind of MVP odds to win it. And I almost say the same thing about Jonathan Taylor, where I believe that he absolutely deserves MVP consideration. What Derrick Henry has done, especially last year, should have got, I mean, that should have got him an MVP, should have garnered a lot more votes than it did. And he just didn't get it. So I got to take Taylor out. I got to take Cooper Cup out. You can't have Lamar Jackson be taken seriously at 30 to 1 odds. When you're sitting back and you're talking about a guy that threw four interceptions in basically the biggest game of the year against Cleveland. Now, even if he comes back and has a great year against Cleveland, 
I, I'm taking him out of the equation. The same thing with Joe Burrow. Even at 80-1 to 1 odds, that's nice. But it, it's kind of his biggest wins have been in Joe Mixon type of games, right? So Justin Herbert there at 20-1, to 1, a guy that doesn't even win the division, is going to get 20-1. to 1. I don't see that. I, I, I just, yeah, I can't go there with Justin Herbert, not in that spot. Matthew Stafford, 16-1? to 1? Absolutely not. We all watched on display. You can't have a quarterback, you know, with an MVP where he's the reason why you're losing games. So he's out. Dak Prescott at 12-1 to 1 is interesting. Dak doesn't quite have the statistics, but he's got the head-to-heads from here on out against division opponents that could make you turn your head. But I think Dak has a lot of catching up to do on the statistics department. Josh Allen at 12 to 1. Well, Allen would have to rattle off here the rest of the look, he had he was on display, and I know it was windy conditions. What Josh Allen has to do is he's got to win every game from here on out, have miraculous games, and beat Belichick in New England with a huge game. He's got to do 303 touchdowns and maybe one on the ground to even start to garner nods. But I don't think it, it, he's, you know, out of this thing. Those two, though, they're long shots. So you got the three, Brady, Rodgers, Murray. And by the way, Patrick Mahomes is not even listed, okay? Which he shouldn't be, right? I I just mentioned that Kansas City is winning with defense. So Brady, Rodgers, and Murray. It's hard for anybody to sit back, look me in the eye in a serious manner, and talk to me about Kyler Murray being the MVP here at 6-1 to odds when Kyler Murray is a guy that he missed time. He missed a month of the season, and, and the Cardinals kept winning. Colt McCoy continued to win without him. So how is that most valuable to your team if your team is still winning when you're not there? So that leaves Rodgers and Brady. Um, Look, Rodgers and Brady are forever linked. Rodgers is a guy that I am being honest here. Forget about the numbers, which lean Brady's way anyway. Um, The idea here that Aaron Rodgers would win back-to-back MVPs, I don't think the writers want that. I don't think people that are voting on it you got to remember, people are voting for this award. They want a reason to vote for Brady here. They want a reason to send him out at this stage. Aaron Rodgers, you know, surly guy. He's done rough things. If you don't, if you agree with COVID or not agree with COVID, how is a guy an MVP of your team, you know, who is doing that to your team in their mindset? I, look, I, I, I don't believe anybody should know if anyone gets a shot. That's where I stand. But... The media feels like we were lied to. We were we were disrespected. You you kind of played the NFL and media as a fool. It's just the perception. And they're the guys voting on this. So, you know, I look back and I go, when all is said and done, I gave you guys Tom Brady before the year began. I'm not cashing that ticket right now, but I feel really good about it. That is my MVP choice. That was my ticket to win it all. Um, Tom Brady to, to go off with an MVP, with a Super Bowl, walk in, off and say, okay, you know what? I'm just just extending the greatest legacy of all time. That's what I gave you guys before time. If you listened, you followed money. And now it's plus 160. I'm not getting overconfident here, but I think Brady would have to do a lot of bad rather than any of these guys actually do a lot of good. There are some outside chances here, but I just think that Brady would have to just completely implode. He's leading the league in touchdown passes at his age. His team is likely to be the number one overall seed, if not the number two overall seed in the NFC. He's got enough going on right now that I think the MVP is going to be Tom Brady. All right, let's go to the late games here. Detroit, Denver, hey, Detroit, on the board with a win. Yeah, look, Lions off of a win. We don't know how they're going to react off of a win. So much is put into don't lose, don't lose, don't lose. Now they are off of a win. They got to get motivated to go on the road, cold, snowy, 
potentially Denver. Getting eight and a half points, though, is a lot. Look, Denver's defense has been really good. We thought Von Miller all of a sudden was going to put them into the tank. And no, Kareem Jackson and company and Patrick Sertan have really been very, very good this year. And they are at home. And they're still looking to stay in a playoff chase. With this many offensive weapons, with Sutton and Patrick and Hinton and Judy and Williams, who finally got his chance, and Gordon, you would think that the Denver offense would be so much better than they are. I mean, that's what's really holding them back. This Denver offense just cannot consistently get it done. Detroit's been playing everybody tough, but we don't know how Detroit looks after a win. We don't know what kind of motivation that's going to be. You watch the massive emotions coming down um, last week when... Campbell was celebrating in the locker room like he won the Super Bowl. There's no way you could do, replicate that. Now on the road, dangerous spot for Detroit to get blown out here as opposed to follow up a really nice performance with a double nice performance. How about San Francisco-Cincinnati? Again, this could be game of the day if you're really uh, any other week, right? San Francisco-Cincinnati, one-point spread. Cincinnati at home. Joe Mixon's been banged up with a little neck injury, but I don't think it's going to be a big deal here. San Francisco wants to run the ball all day. Look, I have no answers for what happened to San Francisco last week. Nothing makes sense with San Francisco losing to Seattle other than the fact that Russell Wilson owns San Francisco. These two teams know each other really well. Pete Carroll understands what Shanahan is, but you still have to travel across country now. They do get the late window, which is good for them, and the matchup does advantage here at San Francisco because one of the things that Cincinnati has a problem with covering are tight ends, and George Kittle has now exploded He's the guy. But San Francisco is without Debo Samuel, and I thought that that would be a problem. Jimmy Garoppolo should have a decent day here because he's checked down. He doesn't have to go deep on the ball. He doesn't have to force anything. He could rely on Kittle in the in the backfield. I think this all comes down to can Cincinnati contain this running attack and this rushing attack in San Francisco that should be just going absolutely crazy, um, smiling ear to ear because they can have some success, but so can Cincinnati. San Francisco's defense is a little bit overrated here. They're in a spot where they're just a, a tad overblown. I think it's a really good game. I wouldn't go anywhere near. How about Giants, Chargers? Chargers are now up to a 10.5-point favorite. Look, the Chargers have alternated wins and losses over the last six weeks, so there's no consistency there. The Giants, there's consistency. There's consistently bad. They're 1-5 straight up on the road this year. They don't go on the road and travel well. I mentioned it last week. Saquon Barkley just doesn't look right. Kenny Galladay can't catch a cold. Tony's been out. Shepard's been out. Their offensive line has been banged up. Thomas came back, but he was still limping around in practice this week. They may go to Jake from State Farm, right? They might go back to him. Mike Glennon, Daniel Jones, does it matter? Look, this is a Chargers team that has to now take care of business at home. They have to win this game, and they have to win this game pretty impressively. Keenan Allen, though, might not play because of COVID. That's a big knock. Look, he scored two touchdowns in the first quarter last week. Austin Eckler is enough to get it done. The Chargers have to win this game, but can they win the game by double digits against a Giants team? Has a lot of potential. I don't know if they're going to put it together, but they do have potential. This is one of those spots I hate laying double digits. Again, it's double digits at home, which is a little bit different of an animal. Bills, Tampa, Bucks, three-point favorite. The conversation is that the Buffalo Bills are dead. They're done. They're dead in the water. Everyone can run on them. Their defense stinks. Everything's horrible. But you know what? The Bills' defense, ran. they were run all over, but they only allowed 14 points last week. People forget that. The Bills' defense made it so... Mac Jones could not really be relied upon to throw the ball. Mac Jones threw the ball three times. And they said, well, it's a designed, a designed play. Well, it is. But guess what? If Josh Allen hits Stephon Diggs in the corner of the end zone late in the game on the ball that probably should have been caught, if he hits that 
1714 Bills, and we have a different conversation about the Bills. Hard-fought victory, oh, great. Yeah, they ran on them, but they held, held them to 14. So don't let that one play skew you from what this team is. The Bills stang, still rank second in the NFL in scoring defense, and they are designed to stop the pass, something that Tom Brady would love to do here, right? The Bucks, they are unbeaten at home. Over the course of Brady's career, though, he has faced the Bills 35 times. In those 35 games, he's 32-3. and three which is the most wins by any quarterback against any other team in NFL history. And since hiring McDermott, though, here's the thing. Brady owns the Bills. He owns them. He loves them. He beats the butt off of them. Oh, yeah, he kills them. But since hiring McDermott, the Patriots, sure, they went 6-0. and But in those six games, Tom Brady didn't do so well. Sean McDermott has his number. He had more interceptions than touchdowns. He only had four touchdowns in six games. He averaged only 225 yards. So while Bill Belichick always seems to find a way to shut down Buffalo's offense, well, Sean McDermott always finds a way to frustrate Tom Brady. Brady always seems to have bad games against him. That's something to keep in mind here because all you're going to hear is how Tom Brady absolutely owns this Bills franchise and this Bills organization. And that's all true. But Tom Brady doesn't have tremendously great games. I think we could start to look at that and say Bill Belichick owns this organization. He's now 26-5 and five, as much as Brady. We're going to start to see that. Look, over the course, once Brady left, we're going to start to see after him being there a year exactly what's going on. We're, we're going to start to sit back and we're going to start to say, okay, who was the owner of that? If a team owned another team, right, who was the reason for the owning? Was it Bill or was it Brady? In this case, I tend to think it was Bill Belichick. All right, Bears, Packers. It has been announced that Justin Fields is medically cleared and he's going to start. The Packers were 12-point favorites, 12 and a half at one point. It's gone back down to 11. The Packers, look, they have a chance to wrap up the NFC North title in this spot. The Bears are going to be motivated, though. Aaron Rodgers screaming, I own you, in their stadium, embarrassing all of them. Well, that's something that, you know, it doesn't sit right. It just doesn't. Packers are off of a bye week, though. So they'll be getting a little healthy. You know, Aaron Rodgers has the toe problem. Unfortunately, we all saw that toe. That was gross. And now they're getting healthy. They're also unbeaten at Lambeau Field in 2021. Aaron Rodgers is also 72-1-1 when he leads at halftime at Lambeau. And Aaron Rodgers in his career in December in Lambeau is one of the best bets you'll ever make, ever. He doesn't lose. He doesn't lose in December in Lambeau Field. It just doesn't happen. Um... Aaron Rodgers is one of the best against the Bears ever. Aaron Rodgers has an 880 winning percentage. He's 22-3 and three in the month of December at home in his career. That is unbelievable. So you can't bet against him. But to cover a big number, again, is quite different than just winning the game. And I don't know if the betting public feels comfortable in this spot. Just going out there and saying, you know what? The guy's got an 880 winning percentage. You know what? I'm going to take Aaron Rodgers. I'm going to do it. Because the Bears can play this game close. I have to watch this game and worry. Look, Cleo Mack is out. But is Hicks out? What's going on with Hicks? Is uh, Jackson out? I want to know what's going on with Jackson. Is Roquan Smith, who came back last week, how does he look in this game? Because he's a vital piece of this defense. So while Aaron Rodgers is a guy that I'm looking at and I'm saying, okay, you know, you look at Rodgers and you say, he's got 56 to 6 touchdown ratio in this month and he's fantastic and he's got all the things working for him. I still think it's a lot to go out there. If this Bears defense can get a couple of those players back on the field, I think it's a lot to go out 
out there and ask them to win this game by this much. Justin Fields doesn't matter to me one way or the other, to be honest with you. I don't know or care if he's in there or if he's not. I don't think it makes much of a difference. But when you're talking about, you know, the idea of covering this big number, maybe Justin Fields' legs gives them a little bit of an advantage. Maybe that's something that you could look at. All right, Rams, Cardinals, Monday Night Football. Cardinals are back. Cardinals are healthy, okay? Murray looks back. Hopkins looked back. Murray certainly looks healthy because he's running the ball all over the place, even including last week. The Cardinals, look, the Cardinals beat this Rams team in week four, but they broke an eight-game losing streak to do that. The Rams had owned this team. Now they're, you know, looking at a different kind of Rams team, though, right? Back then, when they beat them, the Rams were sailing high. The Rams were absolutely fantastic. The Rams were going to the Super Bowl. I mean, that was everyone's prevailing thought. And then they added Von Miller. Well, the Rams are are not only going to win the Super Bowl, they're going to win it by double digits. Then they got OBJ. Oh, the Rams, why even go to the Super Bowl? Rams are going to win. And then they continued to lose and lose and lose. And one of the things about the Rams, look, they're 5-0 and against teams 500 and under. And 0-3 against teams that are 500 or better. That, that That's reality. The, the teams that they've beaten since week four are 13-46-1. They're terrible. The Rams are beating up on bad teams, and the Cardinals are not a bad team. Cardinals are the best team in the league right now. They do have a plus-12 turnover ratio as well, which is something to pay attention to. And then it goes to the Matthew Stafford conversation. I told you guys about the Rams and my my hesitancy to jump on the Rams bandwagon, especially with Stafford. Stafford is now 9-70 and 70 against teams with a winning record. 9-70. and 70. Guys, that's not a misprint. Against teams with a winning record. He has never beaten a team in his career that's five games over 500, that is the Cardinals. They are a team that uh, traditionally Matthew Stafford struggles with. Everyone seems to think that the Rams are just going to get right. They are just going to turn around and seemingly find the solution to everything. And no one seems to believe in the Cardinals. I worry about Kingsbury. I don't think he's a very good coach, but he is a good coach for this team in this spot. Cardinals are at home. The Cardinals are on Monday night football. The Cardinals are getting healthy. The Cardinals are rested because they did miss so much time. And the Cardinals are in a spot where it's a unique situation. They are the better team. They have already beaten the other team. The other team has all kinds of problems, all kinds of issues. They've been in the news. They have all kinds of problems and issues and this and that, and they're going up against a better team. But the Cardinals have more to prove. The Cardinals... You go out here and lose this game. What is the conversation? Ah, same old Cardinals, right? Same old Cardinals. They go out there and win. All of a sudden, that desire to be recognized, that need to be respected, well, they win that. You win this game, it's going to be very impossible for anybody in any NFL circle to look at this Cardinals team and not say, they are the best team in the NFC. They are the best team in the NFL. Because I think that the Cardinals think that they are. And I believe that the numbers say, yeah, you know what? Maybe maybe they are. But a lot of skeptics are still out there. A lot of people are still questioning, are they? I'm one of them. Are they the better team than the Rams? Yeah, they are. Are they the best team in the NFC? Maybe they are. Are they the best team in the NFL? Maybe they are. Maybe Cliff Kingsbury can coach this team. Maybe Murray's that guy. Maybe. I got to see this win. This win primetime division rival against the team that's chasing you, put them away. Put your foot on their neck and step down. Put them squarely away, and I'm a Cardinal believer.
And that's what I think most of the country is going to believe. If you can go out there and do that, you can put this team away. All right, guys, that's going to do it for me. Enjoy the week, everybody. I'm Tom Barton for Wagering Week. We'll be back, and you can bet on that. This has been a presentation of the Sports Garden Network. To be part of the show, call 1-855-4-GARTEN. That's 1-855-442-7386. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter at Sports Garden. That's G-A-R-T-E-N. Get all your credible sports intelligence 24 hours a day by visiting us at sportsgarden.com.